Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. First off, uh, Mitch, how does it feel, according to Michael Cole, to, well, let me start. Michael Cole says, who's the best player to ever play rugby and why is it Quade Cooper? How does it feel being the one person on this pod that has been rooting for Quade Cooper for the last three, four weeks? Yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to this podcast tonight and I was hoping Rev was going to be able to make it as well, which he isn't, unfortunately. He's got some work commitments, but uh, I was going to bring it up and say, who's the one person who's been shouting the Quaid gospel for the last three weeks and got shattered down by the rest of the team? It's me. <laughs> so I was, I was I, really happy to see Quaid do well this week. I think everyone in Australian rugby was. I, yep. I, wanted, I, I thought it was time to bring him in just because of Lalesio wasn't performing. James O'Connor wasn't ready. There was a few reasons why I thought he came in. I still wasn't 100% convinced he was going to play well. It was still 50-50 in my mind. Uh, and I was just great, grateful to see that he played so well and he led us to victory. Yeah, and you know what? I think it was some of my comments to my mates who contacted me when a team list was announced. They're like, Quade Cooper? And I was like, mate, it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> like, no matter what happens, I just knew there was going to be a storyline associated with this. Now, I didn't think that he'd be the one kicking us to victory and like after the siren's gone, but damn, that's a great storyline. And it's just awesome for the headlines within Australian rugby that it's almost like a prodigal son-esque moment that the bad boy has returned he's reformed he's matured and he want he's the one that leads the team to victory but there's a lot more to go into it than just that so uh mitch why don't you go through our socials and um yeah go through our socials and then we'll keep moving on with the show. all right so we're on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we're on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and we're on twitter at pick underscore drive rugby Brilliant. We have a big announcement in that we are continuing our Pick and Drive Live 8pm this Thursday with a very special guest, Brett McKay. Brett is ABC Grandstand journalist, well-known rugby writer on theraw.com.au. He is incredibly knowledgeable about Australian sport, but particularly Australian Rugby Union. Lives down in Cameron, is a massive Brumbies fan particularly keen on the meat pies and the bacon and oh, steak sandwiches, I believe, that are offered at community rugby parks around the ACT. So tune in 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and... YouTube. YouTube is the other one. There That's we go, the YouTube. <laughs> so make sure you get involved there. Comments, questions, aspersions, anything you want to throw at us, we'll be able to react to live during that show. So get involved. Mitch, we had some pretty exciting Super Brew results. We did. So, well done to Nugget 8, or Nugget. He's taken That's out Carlos. the uh, yellow mate. cap this week. Uh, so, he's taken out the yellow cap on three and a half points, followed closely by Mero, who took, got three points, and Ant-Man also on three points, followed by Front Row on two and a half points. So, well done to Carlos for taking out the yellow cap this week. He must have been listening to what Ando was telling him all week and, and picked with it <laughs> and went through with those picks. And Endo, I don't know, did you forget to put your picks in or what happened? No, no, no. He, um, I remember Carlos picked the Wallabies by two. Um, and I remember giving him some crap about it because I thought the box were going to smash us. <laughs> well um, done. And yeah, he got it on well the done. nose. Absolutely well done. Well done. So overall on the table, we've still got CISPT2 in top spot on seven and a half points, followed by Sensation in second spot on seven points. And then the rib father in third on six and a half points. So well done to CISPT2, because I know there was some talk on Twitter that after the team was named, he wasn't too sure which way this was going to go. And he'd already done his picks, but he still <laughs> managed to retain top spot. So well done. Well done. So this evening, we're obviously going to be going through the rugby championship round three. Our main focus will be on the South Africans versus Aussies. We will touch on New Zealand versus Argentina, but we've got a full packed locker room. Everybody's crowding into that space. It's getting pretty tight. So we'll have a fair few questions that we need to answer there. Uh, for now, Mitch, why don't you quickly take us through the rugby championship ladder before we then dive into South Africa versus Australia. Yeah, fantastic. So we've got New Zealand up top on three games played, three games won, sitting on a 
plus and minus points score of positive 91, 15 points for the table. We've got South Africa in second spot at the moment. Played three, one, two on a four and against of 37 uh, on a points differential of or 10 points. Then we've got Australia in third, uh, played three, one, one uh, with a negative points differential of negative 50 points. We're on four points and then Argentina in fourth, played three, one, none, uh, negative 78 points against them. Mate, it's bad reading for us, but then you look at Argentina and just think, holy crap, things could be a lot worse. <laughs> Um, so despite the elation of the match on the weekend, it didn't really help our for and against at all. Um, but at least we got four points. We'll take that. Well, it's Definitely interesting take that. to think what happens this weekend. And it really means that this game this weekend will define who comes second in the rugby champs. Because mm. if we, you'd think under current form, we will beat Argentina twice. On current form, you would think New Zealand would be the favorites after this weekend to beat a South Africa. So if we win this weekend, we're probably tied on point dif- uh, tied on the points on the table, but our point differential is going to be very, very hard to get into the positive. We have to score yeah. more than 50 points in the next th- four games, three games. Well, so Yeah, more than like, positive 50 and not concede any yeah. to even get even, which uh, I don't really see happening. So we're probably going to finish with a negative point differential. Yep, but we'll see All what right. happens. Let's head on into South Africa versus Australia. We have to start this section with a tweet that's come to us from, uh, um, we're assuming Willie K from Christy and Willie K. And this came in on Friday afternoon, well, midday actually, at 12.10pm. And I quote, Quaid will have a blinder kicking off a turn of events that solidifies our back line with Jock at 12, Karevi at 13, Hodge at 15, and lead to a Wallaby World Cup victory in 2023. Noah and the Young Guns get shelved and prepped for the Home World Cup in 2027. You heard it here first uh that was incredibly incredibly scary and uh, an amazing prediction of what very gutsy call very gutsy gutsy call um and so let's let's just go through the basics of the game australia if you haven't picked up from our jubilant attitude and the fact we're not down in the doldrums got up 28 26 and Mostly it was down to the boot of Quade Cooper in terms of the actual points total. He scored 23 of the 28 points that the Wallabies received, had a 100% kicking record. I believe it was um, seven penalty goals, one conversion, yep. and then Andrew Kelloway's sole try. Um, Andre Pollard had a really dodgy night with off the boot with only 50% kicking accuracy, which is really, really unexpected for him. Um, so, I mean, I won't go through all the stats except to say that unsurprisingly, Australia dominated the possession and territory because of the um, South African t- tactical approach within the game. They're quite happy to give away possession. Um, we, had fu- we had six clean breaks to zero, which is pretty impressive, with 21 defenders beaten to five, seven offloads to two. Uh, pretty good ruck success, good mall success, and both teams conceded 10 turnovers. So again, we had Steve Lenthal comment right at the start, Quaid for 10. And he is really, actually, he's, he's looking to you uh, about <laughs> the fact that you said, Mitch, over the last few weeks, Quaid being 10. How do you think his performance actually rates? Do you think that this win is down to Quaid? Or do you, uh, what do you attribute it to that sets him apart as being so markedly different from Noah over the last couple of weeks? Well, first of all, the fact that we won was due to his kicking ability and that he, he nailed every shot that he took. And that was really what ended up being the difference in the game because South Africa, had they kicked all their, their points on offer, they would have won this game. So we only won yep. by two points. But in saying that, I do think that Quade Cooper just straightened up the attack and just had this calm, composing effect on the back line in general. Everyone in the back line looked calm this game. There wasn't the, the frantic pop passes the the random kicks the kicks over the top the the like it, it wasn't like they didn't have anyone that was really leading it it quade cooper was the leader of the, the backs this game and he shore up the attack he distributed really well to samu krevi when he needed to he he kicked it into space when needed to he just he seemed to have a really good understanding of what was needed at the right times which is what we've lacked in the last few weeks with noah and that is not to say that Noah's a bad player, but Noah is only 21. He's in his second year of professional rugby. It's a big ask. 
you can really see the difference of Quaid, who is on his 80th test cap, to Noah, who's on his 7th or 8th test cap for the Wallabies, in a such a pivotal position. It just seemed, and sorry, Matt, I'll just correct you, 70 test caps, or 71 now. 70, um, is it? Okay. But he just seemed to have time and space in situations where Noah just seemed really rushed or would be making decisions that just weren't the right ones at the time. Um, now, I think a lot of that just comes down to his experience, but a lot of that does come down to the actions of our forward pack as well. And I thought that our forwards are markedly improved this week on last week. And the interesting thing is, you look at the statistics, it wasn't an overly impressive or standout performance from any of the forwards particularly. I mean... You had um, Philip was the absolute workhorse within the forwards. 11 runs for 11 metres. Um, Swinton was 9 for 15. Hooper only made two runs, but made 30 metres. Valentini, 10 for 32. So really, you're looking at Philip, Swinton and Valentini as the main, um, as the main runners within the forward pack. And an interesting stat is, do you know how many, um, did you see how many runs that Rodder made? Zero. Zero, literally zero. Yeah. <laughs> he made zero runs and he only made six tackles for the game. Um, but the interesting thing is I was looking at that and he was just a ruck monkey the entire yeah. time. He was the one securing the ball and making sure that we didn't concede as many turnovers as we did against the Kiwis. Um, so it was just an all-round a better effort from the, from the Australian forwards. And one of the things that I'd pointed out in a midweek show which I really was hoping for, was um, I wanted our forwards to play tighter together as a unit. So when they're doing the pods of three, to be tighter in, to be having offloads, hold the ball in two hands, be willing to do the little pop pass in, pop pass out um, when they're taking on the line. And look, I'm pretty sure that Dave Rennie listens to this pod pretty regularly, or yeah. if it's not Dave Rennie, then it's um, Scotty Wisemantle. So you're welcome, boys. You're welcome. <laughs> um, because that was happening a lot more on the weekend. And it was just great to see them playing with a little bit more... Um, I don't want to Directness. say cohesion because that's the wrong thing. Directness, Directness and working in their smaller units more yep. effectively. So that was great. I was really happy with that. Yeah, and I also thought what Quaid brought to the back line that we've been missing with Noah over the last few weeks is he really unleashed the backs around him and he really gave space to particularly Karevi and Ikitao. Both of those players together looked worlds better than they've, we've seen Ikitao perform so far this year. And that just goes down to Quaid feeding them at the right times and setting them up and putting them into space, not necessarily shoveling the ball across to them under pressure and expecting them to sort of make that break. I um, saw some really good analysis on Twitter for the um, Kellaway try. So now how the ball gets out to Quaid, he's actually sitting pretty deep in a line and he bullets it out to Karevi as quickly as he possibly can. Right, And so what that does is as Faf de Klerk is rushing up to try and cut down an outside space, yep. it enables Karevi because he's got the ball earlier. He's got the ball early enough to be able to make that half step to the side. Um, Faf kind of falls off the tackle and then Karevi makes a break, does that nice whooping pass, which might have tiny been a little bit forward. Uh, it's um, backwards to... out of the hands. <laughs> you know what? I, I genuinely think it is. But if yep. I was on the other team, I'd be yelling that that was forward. Um, and so it was just the ability of him to recognize when it's the best option is to get rid of it as quickly as you can with pace and give the outside men time on the ball to actually make an effective decision, which Karevi did brilliantly then. His strength and ability to, to ride through tackles and make meters post-engagement is incredible. Um, he, he was awesome. Well, it was great to see in that, in that play particularly as well, as you mentioned, that he was able to step around Faf, but the Springboks clearly had an intention to shut him down when he got the ball, and he played into that perfectly. So he got the ball at the right time, so Faf and Mapimpi both came out of the line, leaving a massive gap, and he just sort of shimmied or stepped to the left, and Faf ended up having to like dive backwards to try and get him, and Mapimpi just overran it completely. And so he, he suckered them out of the line and then dummied around them and then created this massive gap for for uh for Kellaway, which is brilliant. And again, going back to Quaid, having the vision to see that and to allowing Karevi to do that was the difference this week. Noah Alessio might have decided to put that on the toe or to try and throw a cutout ball to get it to Kellaway quickly. And they're the, the situations that have arisen in the last few weeks where we've ended up turning the ball over. I think Andrew Kellaway needs to be renamed Andrew Findsaway because he <laughs> always gets a freaking try. I'm absolutely loving his time in a Wallabies jersey at the moment. 
Yep. And he is honestly just kind of like my Adam Ashley Cooper right now. Um, obviously, early doors, very, very early doors within his Wallabies career. But he's just making the right decisions. Now, his, his try wasn't anything amazing, but he just he got the try. He gets the ball out wide, runs with pace, steps in off his right, cuts inside, wrong foots are two, to, two cover defenders, and just runs it in under the post. Yep. Like, he's just making the right decisions at the right times and seems to be in the right place when required. And you can't really ask more of a new-ish winger to the squad, and I'm really, really happy with his improvement. And he understands the, like, the game within the game. So mm-hmm. he knows not to just dive over the line and score out wide to then have a hard kick at goal. He will run it in. And he yeah. understands those little things that make a great player that are sort of outside the game of rugby. Uh, he's also very quick at when he scores tries, he'll run back and he'll give the ball quickly to the 10, particularly when we're scoring late because he understands that the clock's ticking over and we've got this time to catch up. Some of the other players currently don't seem to have that game awareness where they'll score tries and then they'll come in and they'll hug and they'll dance and they'll celebrate the try, which is great. But it's like, guys, you know, we've only got two minutes left in the game and we need to kick this over and get the game on. But he's one player that's always keenly aware of those things. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan. Definitely a fan. Look, if if Ryan Wanigan doesn't get much game time soon, then maybe my crush is going to be shifting across onto Andrew Calloway. I'm not sure. Juicy. Lonergan's got really piercing eyes, so maybe that'll keep me in there for a while. Uh, Sarah Hunter, at SA Hunter, uh, has said, Chicken and egg question. Did Australia shift strategy to take points where possible? Brackets. Hallelujah. (laughs) And thus provide the opportunity for Cooper to have such an impact on the scoreboard. Or was his presence and confidence the reason they made those decisions and thus provide blah, 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 blah. So, base, I, I personally think that... We played it smart, knowing that the South African defensive line was so strong that opportunities for tries were going to be few and far between. And so it was just a case of take points on offer. And I wish that we saw that more from the Wallabies. Yeah, and I think it's a, it is a bit of both. I, I, the game plan going into this would always be to take the points on offer because we know that South Africa is a team you just need to grind away at. But at the same time, the, the efficiency that Cooper brought and the fact that he was kicking so well allowed us to do that. Last week in Perth, no one missed a kick from in front and then we missed a few from out wide. So we had the opportunities, but we weren't converting them. So we weren't able to ever create scoreboard pressure. Quaid allowed us to do that. And that changed the game completely because not only were we in it and we were tight with South Africa, once we scored that try, we were leading for a large portion of that game, which is something we haven't done this year so far. And I mean, that's to not to really take anything away from Noah and what he's capable of being. In the last few games, his kick percentage has been shocking and he's been down on confidence. Yeah. And so I think his replacement this week was totally justified. And we know that he has the capacity to be a 90 plus percent goal kicker because he showed us that in the France series. So yeah, I think that it probably wasn't a major shift of strategy strategy as a result of Quaid being present. I think he just capitalized on that and was able to execute in a way that Noah hasn't been able to in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um able and willing can I quickly just oh, say before we move off, interesting yep. to notice that Quaid's got rid of that uh that sort of matrador or the the sideways Mat- yeah, stance yep. when he's going yep. for his kicks. He doesn't do that anymore. Remember how he used to like about that? Yeah. put his arms out and really like poise at the ball and then do this little run up and kick it. He just sort of lined up and kicked it straight now. So different style. It's working for him. Let's keep it going. I don't know. I kind of like the old days. But anyway. Uh, 100% kicking accuracy. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The accuracy is important. Um, AB Willing and Zed says, hang on a minute. Is it too late to to claim Quaid as a Kiwi? Brackets. All that booing was a term of endearment. Honest? Uh, Yes. Well, actually, no. Probably not, because I'm pretty sure he still doesn't have... Well, I know he still doesn't have Australian citizenship. He's a Kiwi citizen. <laughs> he uh, can't he play, for can't play for the All Blacks, Yeah, so do you really want him in that instance? Um, probably you don't need him, though. Australia. <laughs> a 10 is somewhere you don't Barrett? need. <laughs> exactly. Like, the fact that Mwanga hasn't travelled, and yet Barrett is just absolutely tearing up and the All Blacks look as dangerous as ever, just makes my heart hurt a little bit. Because they're just so good. But we're getting there. So good. We've okay. now got three three potential 10s that we've got on the books. So we're getting True. there. We're catching up. We'll get there eventually. All right. Um, Smoky Clouds states, and this is a, 
uh, imagined conversation. All right, Hodge, you've been kicked the ball. You're one point down. There's one minute on the clock. There's an overlap to your right with strong runners. You can beat the world champs. What do you do? Highball. <laughs> it was one of the most brain-dead plays I've seen from an Australian player in a very long time. And that is from somebody who really likes Reese Hodge. What was your re- immediate reaction when he hoiked that ball up? I was initially thinking that he was going for a 50-22, and that's the reason he would kick, that maybe he saw some space out the back. He's going to put it long. Uh, get We'll get the line out, and we'll try and convert it for a try. That was my thinking at the time. But then he's mm-hmm. just kicked it high and, and about four or five meters ahead of him, and then there was no chases, and we turned it over. We were lucky that we got the scrum and ended up getting the penalty and kicked the, ball, kicked the penalty to win it. But at the same, I, I don't understand what went through his head. I wonder if there was someone calling it. Maybe Corabetti, I, I need to go back and really watch it and see, but maybe Corabetti was on his hip and saw some space and said, put it high and I'll get this back. Um, but it, outside of that, it, it seemed like a just a head scratcher. Yeah, it was one of those plays that makes you tear your hair out because the, the smart choice there is to just hold on to possession. You're one point down, get it into their zone, force the penalty. And the only reason we got the penalty was because of our surprising ability to execute a scrum in a massive moment of the game against one of the best packs in the world. Uh, And then White's incredible slash slightly dodgy over the top um, uh, pilfer. Pilfer. And so, look, there was a lot that was simply luck with our... Not simply luck. We we gave ourselves the opportunities to win the game, but things fell in our favour. That decision by Hodge to boot the high ball is emblematic of this dumb decisions that we have made in the past i'm just super happy that we did not pay the price it reminded me as a waratah fan it reminded me of that game i think it was like 2011 2012 Uh, i don't know if you were watching rugby's keenly at the time ando but the waratahs were playing the reds in sydney it was the 80th minute we were up by two points and i think it was brendan mckibben at the time puts this kick over the top uh, and the Reds gather it and spread it wide and run full field and score under the posts and win the game. Dom Shipley, I think it was. That oh, Dom away. Shipley, yeah, I've seen a replay of that. Yeah, uh, rugby Reg like has that he loves as it. his Bible. Yeah, yeah. he loves whenever it. he's feeling really sad with life, he just plays that and cheers him <laughs> up immensely. Yeah, and I was at the game. I remember that, and it's just this reeked of that. It was like throwing the game away at the final minute. It, at, at least at this instance, we were behind and not ahead. That would have been worse. But, jeez. Ryan at Celtic334 states, What a game! Some names will obviously be talked about, Cooper, Swinton, etc. But unsung heroes were Philip, what an engine, Ikatao, brutal in defence, and Valentini got the better of, better of Mullen. So, do you agree with those statements? And were there any players that stood out to you throughout this game? Yeah, I thought Cooper was great. Swinton was good. He probably wasn't as effective as we've seen him for the Waratahs sometimes this year. He made that silly mistake uh, by giving away that yellow card, and we were lucky that that wasn't a red card. He needs to really fix that tackling technique. Same with Falau Fayinga. That was really silly that he gave that away. It very much seemed like he's trying to emulate Tatafi Pilota now by that grass cutter ankle yeah, yeah. ankle drive. They've, they've, uh, they've and the definitely fact that, worked to get rid of it. And the fact that he stood up after it was called and then was just shaking his head and swearing and saying that it was like a bad call, you can't expect that nowadays. It's so obvious that you can't do that. So he did that two or three times before. Swinton also did it earlier in the game. We were lucky not to get a card then. I think it was when he um, bundled Etzebeth into touch. He came across mm. and he cleared Etzebeth and he, he, didn't have, he didn't have a wrapping shoulder either. Or wrapping arm yep. in that contact. So, yep. big plays, but let's keep it legal. Um, yeah, that's that's the problem with him. I mean, because we had we had two yellow cards in a game. It was Matty Phillip and Falau Fayinga. Yep. But the, we very easily could have had Swinton taken off for the no arms tackle as well. Uh, and so it could have very easily been a red as well. Like like not yeah. not that exact instant, but if he's going to do that, running into a player yeah. falling with a ducked ducked arm. If you make contact with the head, that's red. They won't mitigate it down if you make direct contact because you're doing something so illegal. Let, let's talk positives, though, because, yes. I mean, he didn't do that. Didn't. And although he was playing on the edge, that's kind of what we expect from him. Um, he's going to have some big hits and then he's going to give away a penalty or two, uh, kind of like Skelton would 
um, yep. a couple of years back. Yep. Now, one of the players that Ryan pointed out was Ikitao being brutal in defense. I was also super impressed by his left foot cannon yes. that he unleashed a couple of times in this game. I keep forgetting how good his left foot is, but he must have got about 40, 50 meters, if not more, on a couple of his clearance kicks. They were really, really impressive and reminds me what a useful player he is to have in the back line. Yeah, fantastic. He just comes in such handy. And on that same sort of theme of kicking, I thought Nick White was fantastic when he came on at yep. halftime and really yep. shifted the Wallabies and really started to really put the South Africans under pressure through our mm-hmm. kicking game. Tate was passable, uh, great as a number nine, great at attacking the line, but his kicking game was poor this game. And yep. that was a, an improved step up once uh, Nick White came on. Yeah, a lot of that is because something that I noticed within the game in terms of McDermott's box kicking was the lack of protection that the Wallabies forwards were, were providing for him comparative to what you saw with Fafta Clerk. Um, so every time Fafta Clerk goes back to set up for a box kick, even Etzebeth or Lou Diaga are always the ones that, you know, they're, they're basically that pillar. The they're the ones that yep. stand in the way and just go, oh yeah, I just happen to be standing here. Um, and then block place. whichever Aussie lock it is trying to charge it down. Yep. Uh, we, we weren't doing that for maybe the first 25, 30 minutes of the game. And so it resulted in um, Tate getting heaps of pressure put upon him. I think so, there was, in in defense of the other players in that instance, there was a few times where I don't think Tate really thought through what he was doing prior to getting to the ruck. So it yep. wasn't like communicated to the team like this, we're box kicking now. So there was a few times, and that was one criticism I did have of him in the first half, was that he was slow with his delivery. So he'd get to the back, the breakdown, um, he'd set up that caterpillar ruck and sometimes he'd play it to the forward pack that was the set at two or three. Other times he'd go for the box kick, but he didn't seem to know what he was doing. He'd get there, have a look around, see their space and then kick, but it wasn't communicated to his other teammates. So they weren't given time to set up for that. And I think that was the difference that Fafta Clerk, that's clearly their game plan, that they know that they'll do two rucks and then they'll, they'll do a box kick. Whereas we were still yeah. sort of letting... McDermott decide that at the time. And I think when Nick White came on, he was much quicker at that and he was thinking on his feet. So he knew what he was doing once he got to the ruck because he sped that ruck ball up at half, at the second half. Yep, 100%. So there's a lot of questions then kind of moving forward about what the team makeup will be. I just wanted to say, week. sorry. Before um, we... Hang on, hang on. We're not going there yet. So I'm just going to say, we'll talk about that when ah, we get to the cool. locker room. So Great. that's where we're going to go. We won't talk about changes now. We're just going to enjoy the win. I just wanted to say another player that played really well and I was surprised with was uh, not Ikitao, um, Feliti Kaitu'u. I thought yeah, he, he played really well as hooker when he came on and he got his line out throw straight. He was really strong in tackles and he did everything he needed to do as a hooker. And it's really good to see now that we've got another a choice at hooker because that spot is so widely contested at the moment. No one's really standing up and taking that at the moment. So good to see that he he was another player that stood up and improved his game from super level into the test arena, which was fantastic to see. Yeah, he was very, very impressive. And with BPA seemingly still injured, uh, I think that there's going to be a strong case to be made for Feliti starting next week um, compared to Falau Fainga. But again, we'll save that for later in the pod. Uh, One player that I do want to have a bit of a discussion about now is Angus Bell. Um, I thought Angus Bell had some really, really good moments. He that final try, that final scrum at the end of the first half, like thirty nine minutes in, where we're down in front of the South African posts, yep. and they get pinged for the front row angling up. That is almost entirely because of the pressure that Angus Bell is able to put on his opposite, and that to me was incredible because he'd been folded a couple of times or. Um, yeah, turned inside yeah. a couple of times, a couple of scrums earlier, earlier and been penalised for it. And this was just a bit of a baptism by fire for him going up at such a young age against a South African pack. Yep. But he didn't get as demolished as I was worried he was going to get. Yep. Yeah, I, I was worried as well, just through starting a player of his experience and his current trajectory and his progression as a test player, it was worrying that and going up against New Zealand or South Africa is going to be the two hardest teams you come up against to in terms of a forward pack. So it's very hard to, to scrummage against them and to get the, the rub of the green and, and get penalties against those teams. But he did well. He 
he didn't have a like a hundred percent performance throughout the game. There was a few other areas that he wasn't great at, but that's what you expect from a player of his age. So it gives us a good another option. I don't know if he starts again this week over Slipper, uh, but I think he's a good option. I would prefer to see him uh, sort of ease into his Wallabies career. I don't want to put a lot of the younger guys as well. I don't want to put too much pressure on them at the moment when we do have other options. How can you remember how old Angus Bell is? 21. 20, 20, 20. 20. Is he? His birthday is on the 4th of October. Yeah. He's not even 21, and yet he was a starting prop against South Africa, the world champions. Yep. For the Wallabies. It's, it's insane. It's just insane. Um, so he's got a huge future ahead of him. I don't think he's a finished product right now. Um, scrummaging is his big weakness comparative to other props. Um, I think the Slipper definitely has the edge over him. But hey, Slipper probably needed a rest because he played the last few games and played some long minutes there and he is a fair bit older. So yeah, good for them to be interchanging and I think we'll see Slipper come on. But why don't we shift now to New Zealand, Argentina, unless there's anything else you want to quickly add about Australia versus South Africa. Oh, just how good it was to see that the Wallabies hung in there again and really ground out a win. Yeah, so good. It's so good for this team to see the trajectory that they're on. We're back to where we were at the end of the French series. So we've won a series. We won a series against the French. We stayed into all three of those games. We were fighting up until the 81st minute. We came up against the Springboks, the number one ranked team in the world. We hung into it. We got the victory back at the 81st minute, 82nd minute. Uh, brilliant to see uh, such a young team with so little experience being able to stack, stick it up to these teams. It's a bit of a reality check in some ways that that how good this New Zealand side is currently. They made us look quite poor. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in two weeks' time when New Zealand plays South Africa. But it's what Australian rugby needed at the moment, and it is a reality check that we are probably on the right trajectory and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mate, I just liked it because I think the South African game plan uh, forced us to simplify the way that we played and to just focus on executing our basic skills more effectively. And that was enough to enable us to get into the right parts of the field, earn opportunity for penalties, and just just make the conversions. Yep. And so whilst I think we got a lot of work to do under the high ball particularly, mm-hmm. and I'm worried about what South Africa can do moving forward if they choose to hang on to the ball more and play a bit more of a contain forwards driven game than they have previously uh i i'm really looking forward to this upcoming match but man south africa are going to come back with a vengeance all right let's go new zealand versus argentina so this game was the curtain raiser for south africa versus australia as all games involving new zealand should be just kind of the afterthought really <laughs> and it was an absolute shellacking a domination 39 to nil argentina were tepid they were toothless. They were lacking in any verve. But I don't know what other superlatives or no, what other descriptors that I can use to say how poor Argentina were within this game. Do you agree that it was Argentina being trash or were New Zealand just um, just electric in this match? I think Argentina needs some props in this, in this game in that the 31st minute of the game uh, the all, they had kept the All Blacks to 10-0, I believe the yeah, score okay. line was. So they had hung with them for 35 minutes. It was only at the Severi Reese's try right on 37 minutes that the, the band or the elastic really broke. And then they came out and they scored in the 46th minute, the, the 41st minute, the 46th minute, the 70th minute, and uh, had two or three tries disallowed in the process as well. So mm. they did well to hang hang with the All Blacks for so long, but a team of the All Blacks calibre, calibre, sorry, uh, is always going to put a team like Argentina to the sword, unfortunately. Yeah, and when you look at some of the players, like the, the, the Kiwis had a fairly changed lineup, but like we said earlier in a pod, when you're taking out Rishi Malonga and putting in Bowden Barrett, it's not that bad. When you're taking out Aaron Smith and putting in TJ Perinara, it's not that bad. Um, I thought Almua was absolutely fantastic as hooker. He is so damaging as a ball runner. Every single time he got the ball, he was making meters and just blasting through the defensive line. He was seriously impressive. Um, and I really, really liked what David Havili has been doing over the last few weeks. He has been a bit of a revelation at 12 for me. 
and I think that he's going to be there for the long term because he seems to be that steady hand that's just doing the right thing and making the right decisions at the appropriate times. He doesn't seem to do anything that's too flashy, but then is in the right place, right time. Yep. Any yep. players stand out to you from this match? Geordie uh, uh, and Bowden Bar- Barrett. So the Barrett brothers played really well. Geordie uh, kicked the points. Interesting that, again, for whatever reason, Bowden's kicking game at the moment is just off. And so he missed a few penalties and then that's when Geordie took over. So good to see that there is a Barrett kicking points for the for New Zealand at the moment. <laughs> but uh, he just looks so comfortable. He's played a lot of time. Bowden has played a lot of time at 15 this year and last year, but he slotted straight back into that number 10 jersey and he just looks so comfortable. That offload that he, he got away to Dalton Papalihi was just phenomenal. It was oh, just crazy. It's just, it's frustrating how good those Bowden, uh, those Barrett boys are. But um, for once, it's good to be able, as an Australian fan, to sit back and watch New Zealand play and appreciate it and not be tearing my hair out at how good they are and how unfair it is that we have to play them. Maybe um, what we should do with the Barretts is get World Rugby to put in a law that if there are more than one Barrett within a team, it has to be the volleyball style where for like 20 minutes of a, once 20 minutes of a game has happened, they have to rotate positions. So Scott Barrett goes to fullback, Jordy Barrett goes to 10, and then Bowden Barrett goes to lock. And then they'd have to rotate again 20, 20 more minutes. I think that's a fantastic idea because it's only fair um, for the rest of the teams who don't have three just or, or alternatively, we adopt the rule like Japan has for their star international plays. You can only have two on the field at once. So you can only have two Barretts on the field at once. So if you bring on Scott, Geordie has to go off. If you bring on Bowden, Scott has to go off. What an interesting idea. <laughs> and um, it's only for way, Barretts. It's only for Barretts in that ruling. Look, I, um, I actually had the theory that Argentina were going to get smashed in this game before kickoff. And my main thinking was because of the fact that they'd actually been obviously really poor against South Africa in the two games in the lead up to this. Uh, three games, two games. Um, but also because they had just been, um, they only got out of quarantine on Friday before the yeah. game, I believe. That was the first time they were able to actually do a group training outside of their uh, hotel rooms. Oh, they and were still so no, they were still training together. I I th- I didn't think they, they were, were training because they were at um they were at the. Sanctuary Cove, I think it is, where the Wallabies were at previously oh, in the year. Oh, okay. So, it was, so an, it was an enclosed environment. They were in a bubble, like, so they still got to yeah, train okay. together as a team. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, either, either way, you look at the performance from both South Africa and Argentina, and both of them were below par in terms of their own standards. And so I think that we're going to see a significant improvement from both teams in this coming match on Saturday night. And whilst I mentioned before I worry for the Wallabies, I... I still don't think it improved or a lift, even if they doubled their quality from this game. Um, I don't think they've got enough in the tank to beat New Zealand. Um, I think that they will just... I don't think they've got the forward capacity to be able to hold the New Zealand attack, and they just don't have the electric pace and playmaking ability that the outside backs for New Zealand have. So I'm not sure where their joy is going to come. I think they're going to be aiming to take points off Australia and that's going to be their hope moving forward. Yeah, and realistically, they don't have the cohesion together either. It was interesting listening to Michael Checker talk before kickoff of the game, if you, if you were able to watch it. He was talking about the games they played in South Africa and he was asked if they were expecting to perform better in those games against South Africa. And he said, look, realistically, our squad was on holidays before that team, that those those tests. We weren't together as a team. We were all over the world. And so we came together and we prepared for about 10 days and then we took on South Africa. So those two tests, he said, were not a marker where we're at. We've had a lot better preparation for these tests now against New Zealand. And then they come out and perform like they did. They still did well to hold New Zealand to 10 points up into 35 minutes, but they then, they just really were poor from then on and it was all one way. So I don't know what else Argentina can do. Um, at the moment to, I don't see them really challenging New Zealand in this next weekend coming up. Yeah, I think they're just going to have to slow slow the game down, um, kind of do what the Lions did, uh, sorry, South Africa did against the Lions and just take a knee forever, have 3,000 water boys flood the field um, and make send sure that of, the game is Send out a viral video pace. at halftime that 
Yeah. <laughs> Sways the ref's opinion. Yeah, at um, But yeah. just something to slow the game down and play it at their own pace. Because if they try and match the New Zealand um, tempo of the game, they're just going to get torn apart again. Yep. Uh, and nobody really wants to see that. 39-0 isn't fun for anybody to watch unless you are the winning team. Um, okay, are you happy with that? Shall we move on to the locker room or is there anything final you want to add? Let's move to the locker room. Let's go. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for all of your chat, which has come into the locker room. Starting off with Rugbedia. Do you have to be a citizen to be king? Obviously not because King Quaid has been crowned ruler of Australian rugby and he still mm. is not a citizen. There's currently a change.org petition going around for people to try and get him to get his citizenship. Uh, so make sure you get involved with that and sign that off. Um, it, is, Myers, it is puzzling that he hasn't been named a citizen so far, isn't it? It's just it's so it's crazy. So, I mean, look, technically the reasons for it are legitimate um, in terms of like residency because he's been in Japan for so long. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, whatever. Who cares? We don't need to go into it. Uh, <laughs> just Myers at nineteen sixty eight Myers on Twitter push for his citizenship. The jury is out. And look at the Lions tour. They South Africa were one up and lost the next two. Sorry, the Lions were one up and lost the next. Um, yeah. Look, I agree, and we're going to be talking about that uh, later on in this section where some of the bounce back that the South South Africans might bring um, will be pretty hard for the Wallabies to face. Anything you want to say to that, or should we move on? Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get to it later. Easy. All right, Cactus back. Uh, Tupo's going to start with Alan Alatoa gone, but who with? Is it going to be Bell, Kaitu, Taniela Tupo, or maybe Slip, Flaufainga, Taniela Tupo? Um, It's going to be a really big question. How do you think the front row is going to shape up for Saturday, Mitch? I would not be surprised if they drop Flaufainga purely from the the card situation. Uh, so I would imagine we might see, I, I would like to see personally Slipper, Feliti Kaitu'u and It'll be Taniel. probably Taniela Tupo at three because we don't have another prop there and Robinson maybe on the bench for that. Um, mm, maybe he's played across both I sides. Still, I still, I still, uh, yeah, I still personally think that Tupo is best used off the bench, but yeah. who do we have on, who's our third choice tight head? Was it Pony? Was it Pony for Amasili? Is he still in the squad? I don't know. I I believe so. I think he's been injured the last little bit. Yeah. So I don't know if he's up for selection or not, but outside of that, maybe Tom Robinson gets a recall uh, because he could go both sides. We can't bring in um, Harry. So who knows? Yeah. For me, it's going to be Slips, Kaitu and Nella will be the starting. Um, I thought Bell went pretty well this week, but give him a rest, not having to play as many minutes and bring him off the bench with about 30 to go. I think that'd be good. Now, in terms of um, fly half, uh, sorry, scrum half, Cactus Back says, I'd start Nick White. He just wants to win so much. Need that determination. I think that Tate wasn't that great this game. Um, Rennie said in post-match presser that he had a shin injury that was slowing him down in the latter part of the first half. So yeah. maybe that was a contributing factor. He got a cork, and that's why he came off at half time. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think Nick White will start? I think it worked really well this week having Nick White come off the bench because he came on and played a really strong forty minutes, and that was a determining factor in us hanging in the game there. So, it's you could really flip a coin either way because you could he can play eighty minutes, but can he play eighty minutes against the Springboks at the capacity that he played this weekend? I personally think that if Tate's fit and ready to go, I'd like to see him start and bring... And if it doesn't work, we just bring on Nick White earlier. Um, let let Tate start, bring on Nick White in the 40th minute again or the 50th minute or the 35th minute if need be yep. and just allow Nick White to really run, like energize us in that last final few, the last later parts of the half. Cactus back suggests James O'Connor in Hodge's place on the bench. Jordi Pattaya can cover the rest with whoever the scrum half reserve is on the bench. Uh, do you agree? Are you think? Do you think it's going to be a 5-3 split? Tony Mickley suggested it might be a 6-2 split with White and Hodge on the bench. Um, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a challenging one to think of, A, what the makeup will be, but B, what do you do with Hodge? What do you do with um, James O'Connor? James O'Connor comes on. Uh, I personally would be starting... Uh, Cooper again at 10 yep. and bringing James off the bench because James could cover 10, 12 or 15. Yeah, that's theoretically. Really interesting one. And so, he could if needed be. 
So what's your back line then, considering that Paisami should be available now? Starting back line, I'd so nine yeah, to start Tate McDermott. Yep. Cooper at 10, Corabetti uh, 11, Karevi 12, Ikitao 13, Kellaway 14, and I'd be starting Hodge at 15. Yeah, really interesting. And put Bataya so, on the bench with James O'Connor. Yeah, and then White Both has, utility. So you're having a 5-3 split for the bench. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or or even the 6-2 if we really need to. Yeah. Who would you drop off from the it. backs then as a bench spot? It would be James O'Connor and and White. Yeah, okay, cool. Because you've got enough versatility in the back line anyway that they can be moving yeah. around um, if required. I wonder if uh, Ikitao keeps his spot over Paisami. Um, and so I would just be considering that perhaps you might have um, Paisami push into 13 and um, that. I just Karevi think for continuity issues, we keep with what we got. Like it, it worked well this week. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. starting another person into that combination who hasn't played with Samu Krevi before also just adds another complication to things. So for simplicity's sake, it's not broken at the moment. We don't need to fix it. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think that's what I think Rennie might do. Um, now, and- somebody that is considered to be broken uh, by many, many people is Tom <laughs> Banks. Now, I didn't I say it. I didn't say it. <laughs> let me just see. Were there any questions here from people that were just crapping all over Banks? Um, uh, no, I can't see any outrageous comments against Banks on our chat. But, mate, I received so many messages from people just saying how bad um banks was and how much it needs to get dropped i think australian rugby fans love to hate and they mm-hmm. like to crap all over somebody who's not informed um personally i don't think banks has been as bad as everybody says but i do think it's time for him to be dropped and for hodge to be the starting 15 i do think that uh cooper at 10 made banks look worse with lalesio at 10 i think banks looked better because they both were underperforming, but when we've got a when we've got a fly half who was actually succeeding and doing well and driving the team around, it probably highlighted a few issues that Banks isn't doing. Um, particularly under the high ball, he wasn't strong in this game. He left a few, he knocked a few ones on. He just didn't even contest some of them. Just jumped completely in the wrong spot. So, uh, I I agree with what you said before. I I've been calling for it a little while. I think it's time to Hodge for come in at fifteen. Um, or Bataille for that in- instance. I know he's not played there before, but um, someone else needs to give be given a shot at 15. I would prefer Hodge at the moment, but if we're using Hodge as a utility backup in the backs because he can play everywhere, then potentially Bataille. Yeah, look, my big thing, which I've said before, is that I don't think you should be starting somebody in uh, Wolby's position that they haven't played before at club level or haven't played recently at club level or super level. So if we're looking to start, say, James O'Connor or Jordi Pattaya at 15, I don't think that that's the right decision just because they haven't had the recent game experience in that position. But James has played there before. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a few years back. Um, Like even in England when he was at Sale, he's playing 13. Um, and now he's moved to 10, and then we're expecting him to make the shift to 15. Personally, I just don't think that that's the right call, and Jordi Pattaya has been so low in confidence recently. He's only just getting back in. Putting it at 15 just leaves him open to so much more pressure with the high ball game that South Africa brings. I worry that if he drops the first one or two, he's just going to be head down out of the game. Um, and so just keep Hodge on. He knows what he's doing. He's one of the most experienced backs that we have. So just give him, give him the opportunity, give Banks a rest, send him back to the squad um, to work on particularly his taking of the high ball, I think is yep. the major thing that he needs to work on. Um, and have, yeah, have maybe James O'Connor on the bench and he can cover it if need be. But also Andrew Kellaway, I believe, has played fullback a couple of times. But it's in um, the same so instance as maybe, well, not yeah. professionally. Yeah, okay. So I just wonder if like one of the, like Kellaway might be the most capable of filling in at a pinch if Hodge gets injured. I'm going to throw 15 to play the whole time. I'm going to throw a conspiracy theory out here now before we move <laughs> off this topic. Now, James <laughs> O'Connor for a lot of people and we said this last week, we expected him to be named at 10 this weekend. So, uh, this last test gone. We yep. expected him to be named over Quade Cooper. 
He, for all reports, was fit and just wasn't chosen for selection. He spoke to Stan before the game on the weekend and said that he's fit for selection from this coming weekend. Mm -hmm. Now, my theory is, what if they're expecting to name him at 15? And the reason they didn't name him this week is because they wanted to trial Cooper at 10 and they're giving him another week at 15 to gel with the backs uh, and to know the calls and things. And we might see this weekend James O'Connor at 15 with Quade Cooper at 10. That'd be a throwback, wouldn't it? I was watching the... Um, Conspiracy theory. Uh, the you, you know what? I disagree with that decision on so many levels if it does happen. But hey, didn't, I'm not the paid professional that's making Didn't we disagree with the decision to start Cooper? At, well, we didn't <laughs> see it coming to start Cooper at 10 this week. Yeah, true. True. And look how that turned out. Um, okay, let's keep on going though. We've got um, Christian Willie Kay again, James O'Connor to 15. He's saying that. Leave the rest of the backs the same. Swinton into second row, get Simon at eight, Valentini at uh, six, McMahon off the bench. I think it's too soon to have Sean McMahon in the team. I think he might come into the equation for the Argentinian games. Um, I don't think that Swinton is a second rower and he needs to have a season of it at a super level before he should be playing there against the number one team in the world, in my opinion. Yep. Um, oh, Captain Jack Sparrow at Andrew Barraza did have some Tom Banks chat. I missed this. The Wallabies will never be a top team with a passenger Tom Banks at 15. Quade Cooper to 10. Jock back to 15. Carry the hell on. Okay, cool. Yep, we can hear that. Um, I think that Banks will be given a rest this weekend if at least the noise from the supporters is uh, being heard by the Wallabies management, which it almost definitely is not. But Mark... States, thoughts on James O'Connor next week? Well, we've already said to that. Uh, Feinger and Swinton, good performances overall, but the penalties against in a second half for ill-discipline could have been result-changing. Yeah. Um, what do you think about those moments of rashness from the Wallabies players, particularly Feinger uh, and Swinton? I think Feinger, Feinger's uh, discretion was worse than Swinton's purely from where it happened. Yeah. And ultimately, he got, we got a yellow card and they scored a try off it and they took the lead. So we could have lost the game purely on that decision alone. And it was a very simple thing to not do. Just don't dive at a, at a player's ankles. And he done it. He did it a few times leading up to that indiscretion that he got pinged for. So personally, it's it's not good enough at this level. He would, would have been told and he should have been told by coaches that, you know, don't do that. You're going to give away a yellow card. We're losing a play for 10 minutes and potentially going to lose a test match. Swinton, on the other hand, was not in the same area because it was in like the 10 meter mark or halfway. It was in the middle of the field. Again, it could have cost us the game as well. Um, we need to take these things into consideration when we're, we're picking teams. So, and, and I do think Rennie will be taking those, those indiscretions and those ill-discipline issues into consideration when he picks a team this week. Well, we've had some feedback come in from the Dale brothers from um, Rugby Report Card. So we have Harrison, who has stated his starting back line should be White, Cooper, Corambete, Karevi, Paisami, Kellaway, and James O'Connor. So the introduction of Paisami and James O'Connor into the starting lineup at the expense of Banks and Ikitao. And White uh, as well. Also White as well, yeah. yeah. White coming in for Tay McDermott. Um, so the lesson from his week that he states are that Banks is not our 15, Hodge is not our 15, but also Banks is not our 15. So I think he's made that <laughs> quite clear. Uh, how many weeks until we can start McMahon? I think give him another week with the squad. And all, he has all the physicality of Swinton, but the running game without the yellow and red cards. I'm very keen to see Sean McMahon get some game time quite soon. Uh, before we comment on that, I'll quickly go to the brother... Nelson. So you can make the choice of which one's the good brother and which one's the evil brother. That's for you, dear listeners, to decide. <laughs> but he reckons keep, Jay keep Quaid 10, Jock 15, um, Karevi 13, or should Jock come in from the bench to 10? It's a really interesting question. He thinks that um, Banks should be getting a rest as well. I'm not sure if James O'Connor should be starting on the bench. Um, although he's a bit of a utility. He can play 10, 12, and at a pinch 15. Um, but do you think James O'Connor should come off he the bench? Will be, he will be coming off the bench this week. That's Yeah, he will. You uh, just said there's a conspiracy theory saying he'll start 15. I said it was a conspiracy theory and that the the coaches might be doing that because of the timing. Ah, I was putting it out there. This theory, wasn't my... Yeah, I do love a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, I, I don't see James O'Connor coming into 12, particularly not to start. 
So he either starts at 10 or 15 for me, uh, but most likely I think he will be coming off the bench because he can play those three positions. Yeah. Uh, primarily, you'd be picking him to play 10, though. But I don't think Quaid, like, you wouldn't, Quaid played so well that we wouldn't be bringing, rushing James O'Connor back from injury to, to, to replace Quaid. Yep. Yep. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of good that you said before about sticking with a team that's just beaten the world champions. So sticking with the back line and maybe making some minor changes, but not wholesale change, just because James O'Connor is now fit from his long-term injury. Well, middle, medium-term injury. Okay, moving on, we have Andrew Roth at Roth Wright. So I'm super glad we got the win, but this game was a game we very nearly lost due to the same old poor discipline and bad decision-making decision making in the last 20. Hodge should miss the next game for that up and under at the 78th minute. We've already spoken to that point, so... Whilst we don't think that he should miss the game, uh, it was a bit of a brain-dead decision. More positively, though, with a confident 10 feeding him, Karevi and Ikata looks so dangerous. More of that sort of thing. Correct. Now, we've got Simon Griffin at Rugby for All underscore JP. He's been a bit of a downer about um, this game, but this <laughs> comment was pretty, pretty helpful. You'll need to remember that Australia got beat three tries to one, and save for the box wayward boot, this would have been anything but a celebration. Enjoy the win, but curb your expectations. Box are like the All Blacks. They hate getting beat by their own stupidity. Rennie will need a plan B and C. So he's a bit of a party pooper, but I feel like the poop is expected or is um, somewhat well considered because we already mentioned that if Pollard kicks his goals, then the South Africans win. Yeah, but you also have to take into account that we were leading for a large portion of this game. Yeah, and if yeah. it wasn't for our indiscretion of giving away that yellow card and then allowing them to score that mall try, they probably they weren't looking. They didn't look like they were going to score tr- points outside of that. Yeah. So yes, we nearly we gave them that opportunity to score there, but we were controlling things very well leading up to that, and they only scored that try uh, in the fifty eighth minute. So I was pretty confident that we could have, if we would kept doing what we were doing, we could have done enough to win that game. Um, yes, it was three tries to one, but the scoreline was quite vast at certain points. It was 19-11 at halftime. Um, it was 26-25. 20, uh, when when did we get to? Yeah, regardless. Um, I, I still think you need to be aware, that, like we need to look at the fact that the Wallabies were controlling this game Correct. and the Springboks pounced on our ill discipline to get back into the game. Um, so you can't necessarily say that we lost that. We we don't deserve to win that game because we did really. And yeah, yeah. And look, I also think that um there is a big point to say. Oh, I just had a mental blank about that big point that I was going to say. Can't <laughs> be that big then. <laughs> How good! Must be the amount of celebrations that we had last night. That was super <laughs> fun. Um, okay, Hugh Tyndall. If I was a salty sapper, I'd say the Wobs only won because Pollard had an off night with the boot. As I'm not, I'd say Wallabies won because they took the points and made more of their territory and possession. Box could only score off lineout malls. One-dimensional attack equals risky, and that was super important. I remember the point that I was going to say. Yep. They didn't make a single line break against the Wallabies yes. defensive line. And that simply goes to the point of our defensive line was so much better than what we have shown previously against the All Blacks. And I think that was because the All Blacks show us something completely different to South Africa. Um, But either way, we defensively were really in this game, apart from some of the struggles under the high ball and the inability or the difficulty that we had at times with their mole. And... Look, I know that is a South African game plan, but either way, we held up to them in every other aspect of the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy. Yeah, uh, exactly. A- Abel Willing and Zed states, Yup, the box had one trip up their sleeve. Trick up their sleeve. Hell of an effective trick, but hardly brave and inspiring. The Wallabies, on the other hand, were brave, tenacious, and full of Hooper-esque ticker. They 100% deserved to win. Thanks, and that's coming from a New Zealand fan as well. Like, love your work, Abel Willing. <laughs> All right, mate. That must be worth double. (laughs) That's worth double. We'll take it. Double points there. (laughs) Uh, Okay, cool. So I just want to remind everybody that we are going to be having our live show, Pick and Drive Live, with Brett McKay happening at 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So make sure that you tune in, get involved with your question, comments, and banter, and we will make sure that we hear from the crowd as this show goes on. We're really, really excited for it, and we're going to be doing some analysis of the game on the weekend. 
and we're particularly going to be going through the team list because they'll be announced by then because the game is yeah. on Saturday. So the announcement will be at like midday on Thursday. So it'll be great. Mitch, anything you want to add before we finish up? Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to leading into this game on the weekend, but Pick and Drive Live is going to be really good as well because we're going to an- analyze some of the things with some video or with some pictures and GIFs and those kinds of things from this weekend's game that was exciting and that we thought did well uh, and some areas that we think we could potentially uh, exploit next week. But also it's going to be a really big game this weekend against the Springboks and it's probably the Wallabies' biggest game this year so far considering that the Bledisloe was a bit of a non-event. So really looking forward to seeing the team, first of all, that they name, but also breaking it down and, and seeing how we're going to get a vi- another victory over the Springboks. Brilliant. Well, let's finish things there. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.